You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. And I don't know about you, I'm so glad that we just sang that song, Set My Heart. And um, I just, I love the lyrics of that song. I love the feel of that song, quieting our hearts, replacing our fears and our doubts and our worries and our insecurities and, 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 and setting our heart on the rock solid reality of who Jesus Christ is. So I'm going to pray for us that God would help us uh, to do that now. And so God, we want to set our hearts on you right now. And we want to have humble hearts. We want to have tender hearts. We want to have hearts that are receptive to your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, speak, Lord, that you'd speak through me, that you would speak to the, uh, not just to the minds of the people who are listening, Lord, but that you would speak right to the heart, Lord, right to who we are, whatever fears or worries or insecurities or burdens that we may be bringing, Lord, I pray that you would do a good work in all of us right now. And so, Lord, we open your word by faith right now. We didn't come here to hear a lecture. Uh, We didn't come here to uh, simply hear a sermon, Lord. We have come here because we believe that you are a God who has spoken and a God who is speaking. And so we pray, God, that you would help us to uh, receive from you what you have for us, Lord. There are some things that we need to learn and we pray that you would teach us. God, there are some things that we need to believe and we pray that you would give us faith. And God, we know that there are some things about us that need to change and so we pray that you would transform us and we know that you can do this uh, by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're wrapping up our series, Lord, Give Me Wisdom. This a series that we've been going through really for the last uh, two months, the last nine weeks in the book of Proverbs. And uh, we've been looking at a number of different topics because Proverbs is so uh, practical. Let's take a look at some of the Proverbs just to kind of review where we've been, some of the topics that we've, uh, that we've covered. Lord, give me wisdom in my finances. And Lord, give me wisdom in my uh, sexuality. Lord, give me wisdom in my uh, friendships. And Lord, give me wisdom in my words and my work and my family. And then humility last week and how all of those things uh, come Uh, together. And what we've seen as we've gone through the book of Proverbs is that that Proverbs doesn't just simply give you financial advice or simply give you advice for relationships. That Proverbs is, is intrinsically vertical. That the only way to really get wisdom is to view money through the lens of your theology. To view your relationships or your sexuality or your words or your work. It all centers around what we believe about God. That is what gives us the wisdom to be able to live the way we ought. Wisdom is the skill of determining the best possible method to accomplish the best possible outcome. Doing the right thing for the, in the right way and for the right reasons. But all of that has to orbit around, all of these things are orbiting around the weightiness, the centrality of who God is. And so in this concluding message today, we are going to come back 
uh, really to where we started, to Proverbs chapter one and verse seven, which is really the, the thesis statement, the, the introduction to the, to the book of Proverbs. It says, uh, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now turn your Bibles quickly to Proverbs 9, chapter 10. Proverbs 9, uh, chapter 10. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7 says it's the beginning of knowledge and then, and then beyond that, more than knowledge, it's, it's the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And that's really what we've seen as we've gone through the series. It's about knowing God. It's about getting things right vertically and then that affects everything horizontally. Growing in wisdom cannot happen without growing in the fear of God. And so as we wrap up this series tonight, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to grow in the fear of God. In order to grow in the fear of God, we need to understand what the fear of God is. And, and let me give you the, 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 the best possible definition I can. We're going to spend a little bit longer on the introduction here today. And then we're going to look at three implications, three things that come from fearing God. But here's a definition of the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is reverential awe. It's reverential awe. Let me give you a, a let me unpack those two words. Uh, first, reverence, reverential. To revere something or someone is to have a deep respect. And so to, to fear God is to have a deep respect for him, but it goes deeper than that. It is an awe. It's a reverential awe. And awe is this mixture of fear and wonder. And so when we think about God, we, we think about who he is. We have this deep respect for him. And yet we're amazed. We are standing in awe of him. We're, we're almost frightened at the, 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 the idea that this being exists who is so powerful and so glorious and so majestic. It is a mixture of fear and wonder that we are creatures and God is the creator. That, that we are not in control and yet he is sovereign. That we are not pure but that he he is holy. And that's how we need to approach God. That's how we need to uh, approach life is in light of the fact that this being exists and that he spoke us into existence and that we will one day give an account towards how, to, to him with regards to how we lived our lives. The oldest a commentary that I read uh, in this series was written by, uh, by a preacher named Charles Bridges. And this is how he defines uh, the fear of the Lord. He says, what is the fear of the Lord? It is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. Listen to this next part. His wrath is so bitter and his love is so sweet that hence springs an earnest desire to please him. And because of the danger of coming short from his own weakness and temptations, a holy watchfulness and fear that he might not sin against him. It's a 
it's a, notice how Charles Bridges des, decides to uh, sum up the fear of God in describing that it's the child of God relating to Father God. I was raised by, by an, an amazing uh, father. I, I had the, the privilege. I know not everyone had that. Not everyone had a dad at home. And sometimes when dad was at home, he wasn't at home. And sometimes when dad was at home, you wish he wasn't. But I had an amazing father. But I, I, need, I, I need you to understand that there is a sense in which I have a fear when I'm around my father. Not because I am, a, I am afraid that he is going to hurt me or lash out at me or harm me in some sort of way, but I have such a deep respect for him that, that I desire to please him. I, I, I desire to, to receive affirmation from him. There's a sense of stability and peace that I know I am welcoming into my life when I am on good terms with my father who I respect so sincerely. There is, there is that sense of, of fear. That, that, is the, that is what's being described in the fear of God. So if my, if my father were sitting here in the front row, I would be aware of his presence and that would affect the way that I'm doing what I'm doing right now. And, and there, that's a healthy sense of fear. Now, if a crazed psychopath with an AK-47 were sitting in the front row and it was aimed at me, I would also have fear. But that's a very different sense of fear. I don't have respect for that person. I'm not aiming to please that person. And so we need to understand when we're talking about the fear of God, we need to understand that it is this deep-seated respect, this awe and this wonder at all that God is. You see, the fear of God is all about relating to, relying on and reflecting the character of God. Relating to God, relying on God, and reflecting God. Because it's, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And so all of these things, as it relates to wisdom, our finances, our friends, our sexuality, our words, our work, our family, our humility, the book of Proverbs is not just this this book of lists of things that we're supposed to do or not do or different expectations that we're supposed to have. It's a guide. It's an invitation into a relationship with God and that when we establish that relationship and have a healthy amount of fear in that relationship, it produces wisdom. And so when we talk about fear for the Christian, the Christian is not afraid of condemnation, but the Christian is afraid of consequences. When my dad gives me advice, when he tells me to do this or not to do that, I take that very, very seriously. Why? Because I know my dad loves me and I know my dad is wise and he's lived more life than I have. And so I take his command seriously because I know that if I, if, if, if I don't follow what my dad says, there's probably going to be negative consequences. In the same way, we listen to God and we listen to his wisdom, not because we're afraid of condemnation, because we're found in Jesus Christ, but we're, we're afraid of the consequences that we would invite into our lives. I just mentioned uh, Jesus Christ. I want to show you an amazing verse on the screen here before we uh, dive deeper into Proverbs and what the fear of God looks like. Look at this verse on the screen, Isaiah 11, 1 and two. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. 
And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I want you to just, if you haven't already, just write down that reference in your notes and then just right beside it, I want you to, I want you to, to write study context. Study context. Uh, the, the, we don't have uh, time to really get into it tonight, but the context of Isaiah chapter 11 uh, describes the failure of the people of God to live with wisdom. The failure of the people of God to rely upon, be in relationship with, and reflect the glory of God. And by the time you come to the end of Isaiah chapter 11, God uses this metaphor to describe what is going to happen to the people of Israel. He describes a forest that has all been chopped down. He says, you guys are so big and all your big palaces with all your big money and all of your worldly wisdom, you think you're so great. God says, I'm getting out the chainsaw and I'm gonna mow you all down. And by the time Isaiah 11 stops, it says, you're all gonna be a bunch of stumps. And then it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse that from the failure, out of the rubble of the disaster of the people of God and their inability to live in covenant relationship with God, a shoot will come up. And I know there's snow on the ground right now, but spring is coming and shoots will start coming up out of the ground. Amen? Believe that with me. But the shoot will come up and it's gonna come up from the stump of Jesse. Now you may not remember this, but Jesse is David's father, Solomon's grandfather. And when David was king in 2 Samuel chapter seven, a prophecy was made that one of David's descendants, who was also a descendant of Jesse, was going to sit on the throne and he was going to reign forever. And he was going to bring justice. And he was going to rule with wisdom. And really, seriously, for most of Solomon's life, most people in Israel thought, there he is. The queen of Sheba's coming to visit him. And he's got all of this wisdom and all of this wealth. It must be this guy. And then Solomon did not finish well even though he had all of the wisdom, even though he, he could describe it in words so beautifully that he couldn't even follow his own instructions. And just like everyone else in Isaiah chapter 10, Solomon himself got mowed down. But we have this incredible promise that this descendant of David was going to come and that he was going to bring about everything that the people of God were looking for. Verse two, notice this, it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And it says, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. That's what we're after. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Notice this, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see, Jesus is as the son of God, is not afraid of God because he is God. 
Jesus as a member of the Trinity, eternally existing in three persons. The Son is not afraid of the Father, but the Son understands the fear of the Lord. It's rooted in a relationship of love. That is the kind of relationship that we are supposed to have. And this Jesus, this Savior who is prophesied about here in Isaiah chapter 11, that spirit that was on him is now promised to us. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you have trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins, when I'm talking to you right now about the fear of the Lord, when I'm talking to you right now about our need for wisdom, I'm not telling you that there's something out there that you need to reach for and try to get. What I'm telling you is that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the same spirit that is described in Isaiah chapter 11, that the fear of God has been implanted in you. It is part of the DNA of the new creation. The new creatures in Christ are hardwired to have the fear of the Lord in them. The question is, are you yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life as you look to Jesus. Jesus told us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a fear of God reference. We're supposed to pray in our prayers that we would grow in our fear of God because when you grow in the fear of God, you grow in wisdom. And if, can we look at that, that big list of everything on the, on the squirk? The thing about finances and friendships and sexuality and words and work and family is that I've lived, not that like off to know, that you never have these things figured out. It's not that like all of a sudden, you, I, I, yeah, I used to have a problem with finances and now I just have it on lock. And it's just, it's just set it and forget it. No, because our financial situation is always changing. Our friendship relationships are always uh, changing. Our, 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 uh, our opportunities for, uh, for sexual fulfillment uh, come and go. And our, our, our ability in, in that area, will come and go about work. I know all the Proverbs about this. Because every stage, we can't think, oh yeah, I know all the Proverbs about, about work. I know all the Proverbs about this because those things are always changing. And so what we need more than anything is the fear of the Lord. Because all of these factors in our life, all of these topics, even if you have all of the Proverbs memorized, they will always be changing and in flux in your life. And what you need is a strong relationship with God rooted in the fear of the Lord because God never changes. Amen? And he's the one constant. And in order to have wisdom in these areas, we must pursue the fear of the Lord. You see, Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom and that spirit of wisdom, the spirit of the fear of the Lord dwells inside of us as the Holy Spirit. And so when we allow the fear of the Lord to grow in our life, when we love God and our value, when we understand what it means to have reverential awe of God in our lives, this is what it produces. Number one, holiness. Holiness. The fear of the Lord brings holiness. Turning your Bibles to Proverbs 28, 13, and 14. Proverbs 28, 13, and 14. 
God is holy, so when you grow in a relationship with him, you will see holiness grow in your own life. 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Verse 14, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And so there's a a blessing here in verse 14 to the person who fears the Lord always. And the context, the the verse uh, uh, prior to verse 14 shows that if if we hide our sin, we will not be forgiven. But if we confess it, we will obtain mercy. Again, the fear of the Lord is not simply being afraid of God's wrath, although being afraid of God's wrath is part of the fear of the Lord. Because the context of this verse, the fear of the Lord is centered upon his mercy. That's the last word of verse 13. That God is merciful. We we fear him. We stand in awe of him. Because although we are sinners, he has chosen to show mercy to us. Fearing God saves us from having a hardened heart. Verse 14 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into Calamity, because the fear of the Lord means we're living in a relationship with him, which softens our heart. But listen, if you hide your sin, you will find you will also simultaneously harden your heart. Those two things go hand in hand. Confession of sin leads to a tenderness of heart. Concealing sin leads to a hardness of heart, which takes you to calamity, as it says at the end of verse 14. Let me give you a couple of examples of Proverbs 16, verse 6. You can see this on the screen. It says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Again, we're we're given some characteristics of God here. His steadfast love and his faithfulness. And he says, because of those things, iniquity, our sin, is atoned for. It's covered. What's being described here is the Old Testament um, uh, sacrificial system at the temple. And what, what the Proverbs are pointing out here is that forgiveness for Old Testament Israel, forgiveness didn't really lie in the fact that the animal died. Forgiveness was possible, not because a a, a lamb's throat was slit and it was burned on an altar. That did not produce the forgiveness. The forgiveness came from the fact that God has steadfast love and that God is a faithful God. That's where our hope lies. Not in, the, not in the sacrifice of animals, but in the character of God. And we can look right past that sacrifice of animals and we can look straight to the cross of Jesus Christ. And where else do we see it more clear? The steadfast love and the faithfulness of God in the covering, in the covering of our iniquities, in the atonement, but when Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. And then it says... It's, the, it's by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. You see, when you understand the mercy of God, when you understand the forgiveness of God, the steadfast love of God, and the faithfulness of God, that causes us to turn away from evil. When we see the grace of God that fills us with so much gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, 
that it causes us to live lives of holiness. Take a look at Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 7 on the screen. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This is a favorite proverb that many of us have memorized. Verse 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. You see, temptation wells up inside of us and and, and thinks, well, it's only this once. Or I have an excuse. Or I'm going to do this because they did that. Or, Or don't be wise in your own eyes. Trust in the Lord. The verse says, in all your ways acknowledge him. Remember that God is present everywhere. He's in every room that you go to. He's, he's overhearing every conversation, every thought that's going through our mind. He sees it all. He knows it all. So acknowledge him in all of your ways. Fear him and turn away from evil. Then Proverbs eight thirteen: The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So to grow in the fear of the Lord, it's to grow in relationship with God. You start to love the things that God loves and you start to hate the things that God hates. And you begin to hate sin in your own life, which causes you to turn away from it. And it's about developing those habits. It's about, it's about developing those, 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 that relationship with God, loving what he loves, hating what he Hates. So the fear of the Lord, that's probably the, the thing that, that came to most of our minds when we, th- we think about what does fear of the Lord do? It, it produces holiness. It causes us to turn away from sin and to pursue that which is good and right. Now here's the second thing. The second thing that the fear of the Lord brings us, it, it, and this is kind of counterintuitive, it brings us freedom. It brings us Freedom. So many times in the book of Proverbs, so many times we're told throughout God's word that true freedom actually comes from living for God. And this this is so backwards to the way our world thinks. All your neighbors, all your unsaved family members think that you in becoming a Christian and you in coming to church and following Jesus, that you are putting shackles on yourself and you are putting yourself in this spiritual prison and that you must be so miserable because you, you've, you've, you've sacrificed your freedom for the sake of your religion. That couldn't be further from the truth. They're the ones in prison. They're the ones in chains. We are the ones who have been promised. But he's the one who created. And there is freedom that comes from fearing God. He's the one who created this world. And we, are, we were designed to live in a certain way. It's freedom that the fear of the Lord gives us. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, 25. This is one of my uh, favorite Proverbs because I see this playing out so regularly in my life. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. What's What's a snare? A snare is a trap. So if you're not fearing God, but you fear man, and the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You see, when you trust in the Lord, when you have the fear of the Lord rather than the fear of man, then you, you, end, you end up getting 
into a trap. It is a snare. You feel intimidated to conform or to compromise based on someone else's wishes rather than God's wishes. Do you struggle with the fear of man? Uh, They don't have to be a psychopath with an assault rifle in order to be afraid of someone. And the fear of man doesn't necessarily mean that you are cowering in fear or that you, that you have anxiety or difficulty in certain social situations. Uh, the fear of man simply means that rather than fearing God and doing what God wants, you have a tendency to just do whatever other people want to do. And this tendency to try to uh, impress people, a tendency to please people, a tendency to want to control people, to follow people, to avoid people. Uh, do, do you have that, that fear, that sense? Because it is a trap. And what happens with the fear of man and, and the way fear of man really manifests itself is, is, is living your life like this can go undetected for a long period of time. Let's say you, you have one relationship and, and they, they're really controlling in that relationship and you're just kind of holding them by the hand and they want to go over here, you just go over there and you don't really have a will of your own and you're just doing whatever they want to do. And it really, you know, we talk about peer pressure when we're in junior high and then we sort of start, stop talking about when we're adults. It's just peer pressure just kind of goes undercover. It's under the surface. No one's talking about it anymore because it's, it's still happening all of the time. We feel pressure from our peers, pressure from our family. And we're just going along, being led along by the hand by someone else. And you could go for years and have a massive fear of man problem and not even realize it. But then what happens is another relationship enters into your life. And this person over here is so accustomed of leading you over this way and over here and up around here, but now all of a sudden this person has some ideas. And now you, you can't say no to this person and, and you don't really like saying no to this person. And then a person number three enters into the conversation and person one wants to go this way, person two wants to go this way, person three wants to go this way and you're what? You're in a snare. You can't move. You're no longer making a decision for yourself. You're so odd. Hey, well, I can't disappoint them. I can't disappoint them. I can't disappoint them. Well, what about disappointing God? What about not trying to live your life, trying to please all of these other people and go along with other people? What about trusting the Lord with all your heart and he'll make your paths straight? What about letting go of all of these entangling relationships? and wholeheartedly surrendering to him and living in the fear of God. You see, God promises this kind of freedom. I love Proverbs 14, 26 and 27, talking about the the freedom that is promised in the fear of the Lord. It says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. There's that word snare again. Again, fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. 
Living in a relationship with God is a fountain. It's overflowing. It's exhilarating. It's abundant. It's life-giving. It's beautiful. It's refreshing. It's freedom. It's how we were meant to live. And when you have the fear of the Lord, you have strong confidence of anything else because you know that God is with you. That gives you so much freedom. And it's a fountain of life and it helps us again to turn away from the snares of death. The dating couple that's getting too involved physically, if they have the fear of God, they will turn away from that snare and the death that it will lead to it. The, the coworker who's tempted to, to get in on that gossipy a conversation will turn away from getting involved in that snare. When bills are tight and you're on the bus and you see the payday loans place, it's the fear of the Lord that will say, I'm not going, that is a trap. I'm not doing that. When you're surfing around the internet, when you're, when you're tired or lonely and it's the fear of God understanding that he is present there with you that causes you to turn away from getting involved in that trap when everyone else is slacking off at work or at school but you know you need to be diligent it's the fear of the Lord that that gives you the strong confidence to stand alone even if you even if you do literally have to stand alone because you don't fear man you fear God. The fear of man, it's, it's simultaneously, Derek Kidner points this out, it's simultaneously like a fortress, strong confidence, it's a refuge and a fountain. That's because the evil in this world is either trying to attack us or it's trying to attract us from, and, and, and so sin is coming at us, evil in this world is coming at us from, from the outside in and from the inside out. And so we need a fortress to run to when it's coming from the outside and we need a fountain to turn to when it's coming from the inside. It's freedom. I love how Jerry Bridges, not to be confused with Charles Bridges, who also wrote an amazing book on the fear of God. This is what he says, that the freedom that comes when we fear God. An increasing understanding of God's holiness of one sin and the value of Christ's death will always mark a person who's growing as a Christian. This is when we really start to enjoy fearing God. When we realize in the depth of our being that we justly deserve the wrath of God and then see that that wrath poured out on Jesus instead of ourselves, we're both awed at his wrath and astonished at his Love. It is a fountain of life. Will you choose uh, to drink from it uh, tonight, to turn away from the snares of death? The fear of God brings holiness. The fear of God brings freedom. And lastly, the fear of God brings hope. The fear of God brings hope. Turn with me to Proverbs 22, verse 4. We're going to look at two more uh, passages uh, tonight, Proverbs 22, 4. When we invite the fear of God in our lives, when we stop looking around and decide to look up, it actually gives us the ability now to look forward and to see how God has promised reward, how he has promised to come through for us and that gives us hope and confidence. Proverbs 22, 4 says, the reward 
for humility, which Jason Elliott since, uh, uh, described so beautifully last week from the book of Proverbs. The reward for hu- humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor than our run- life. And so the, the, things that we're, the things that we so often are running after how many problems do we get into in our, in, in, in our lives and in our family because we're trying to get rich quickly. But if we handle our wealth in a way that honors God, if we follow the principles that God has given us in his word, and remember that um, when, when it says here that the, the reward for humility and the fear of the, these short, memorable statements, that the, the Proverbs are not promises, The Proverbs are these short, memorable statements that describe the way things normally work. Is that when a person fears God, honors God with their wealth, when a person understands that God is a generous God, therefore I will be generous to other people, what what normally happens is that that person who gives abundantly then ends up receiving even more abundantly. And even though pride in us is seeking after honor and wanting to be put in the, in the highest place, that so often that when you seek after honor, you end up getting disgrace, which the proverb says again and again. But the reward for humility is riches and honor and life. It doesn't mean that every Christian lives until they're 97 years old. It doesn't mean that every Christian will go through life without ever experiencing dishonor. It doesn't mean that every Christian will go through life and not experience financial hardship. But those are the things that we're all looking for. We want a long life. We, we want honor. We want wealth and financial security and stability. But if you run after those things, you actually won't get them. You'll get the opposite. But if you end up pursuing God and the fear of God and humility, you'll get that and you'll get so much more. Then look with me at Proverbs 23, verse 17 and 18. Just turn one page over to the next chapter. Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. I think out of all of the statements in the book of Proverbs, I I think, and this is the last one that we're gonna look at for this series, uh, this, this is the one that speaks to me uh, personally, more powerfully, more impactfully than any of the other wisdom found in the book of Proverbs. It says this, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Surely there's a future and your hope will not be cut off. I remember uh, I I was in this gym and I remember someone sharing that verse from the book of Proverbs and that the word of God spoke to me so powerfully on that day. Surely there is a hope and your future will not be cut off. Don't envy sinners. I think Proverbs 23 should be underlined and every be written. I think Proverbs 23, 17 and 18 should actually be written at the very beginning of everyone's um, uh, uh, Bible for the book of Proverbs. Like turn here, remember this. Because here's the thing. Proverbs is always making these statements. If you work hard, 
you get rich. The reward for humility and the fear of God is riches and honor and life. Uh, train up a child in the way they should go and, and they won't depart from it. There's all of these statements saying, if you do this, then you'll get this. Is that, but what I love about Proverbs 23, 17 is a deeper level of wisdom. Because when we think about all of the things that we talk about, everything we've covered so far in this series, there is, we, we can look at our neighbor and the cars in their driveway and the size of their house and we know generally what their income is and they're paying for the whole thing on credit and they seem like they're getting away with it. Don't let your heart envy sinners. When you turn on a television or you, you look at what your friends are doing on Facebook and there's so much sexual don't and permissiveness and it seems like they're having so much fun, don't let your heart envy sinners. When you see the completely clueless and neglectful parents seem to have the most well-adjusted, polite children, busy person at heart envy sinners. When you see the lazy person at your place of employment continually knock it out of the park on their performance review and continue to climb the ladder, promotion after promotion, let not your heart envy sinners. When the gossip remains at the center of your social circle and seems to be controlled thing, don't let your heart envy sinners. The Proverbs clearly lays out the way that we're supposed to live in light of the fear of God. But sometimes Proverbs can be the most discouraging book in the Bible. Because sometimes you think, well, it said do this and then do this and I'll get this. We gotta understand that we gotta trust and believe in the long term and in the eternal Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. So whatever you're struggling with, whatever God has really been speaking to you over the last couple of months, whether it's your finances, whether it's sexual temptation, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your children, whether it's your speech, whatever it may be, continue to trust in the Lord. There is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Look up to the Lord and look ahead filled with hope. Because even if you don't see these promises or these statements laid out in Proverbs played out in your life this week, even though you don't see it play out maybe in the next decade or the next 50 years, these will ring true in all of eternity. Because if you are filled with the fear of God, then you will spend eternity with God. And the punishment that you deserve for all of your sins will be paid for through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so may we be a place that is filled with the fear of God. I love looking at Proverbs through the lens of what it means to be a New Testament Christian, a new covenant member of the family of God. And I love this 
statement in Acts chapter 9 describing the early church, and I find myself often praying this for our church. Acts 9, a 31. I'll show it here on the screen. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, take a look at what's being mentioned there. Remember Isaiah chapter 11, the spirit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. The spirit, now you capital S spirit that was prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 11. And now you come to Acts 9, 31. People who have placed their faith in Jesus now have that spirit living inside of them. They are being comforted by the Holy Spirit and they are walking in the fear of the Lord, which means that they are walking in wisdom. And so let's bow our heads and let's just in the stillness of this moment, let's invite God to cause us to grow in the fear of the Lord. There's no hope for us to grow in wisdom unless we grow in the fear of God. And so let's ask him, God, as I think about my right now, God, as I think about my own life, Lord, I know that I need I, know I need holiness, I need freedom, and I know that I need hope. And God, I, I pray that you would cause us to have reverential awe for you, that you would cause us to tremble, Lord, not simply at your holiness and your wrath and your, your, your moral purity and your outrage and offense towards our sin, Lord God, but that we would also marvel at your tenderness and your mercy, your grace and your forgiveness. And so God, we started this service by saying, open the eyes of our hearts. And so God, we've opened our eyes, we've looked at your word and, and, and God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. I pray that we would see you. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see more of who you are. And God, I pray that all of the things that make us afraid in this world, that they would all be uh, understood in right relationship of the fear of God. That if we fear you, we have nothing else to fear. So God, open our eyes. Help us to see you. Reveal yourself uh, to us, God. Speak to us right now so powerfully and profoundly in this song. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.